With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast, and here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Hello, friends. Welcome again to the Tennis.com podcast. I'm Ed McGrogan, and joined as always by Steve Tigner, uh, back after the Australian Open. Uh, it's it's so difficult to to do podcasts, uh, at least in our setup, I should say. Uh, during a, a slam, it's really difficult to do them in any slam just because things move along so quickly. Uh, so we actually decided to, to really kind of, you know, we took the tournament in as a preview, and I think in this podcast we can really sort of look at what happened as a whole, you know, maybe sort of save ourselves from a little uh, instant reaction and, and with the benefit of hindsight here. And, you know, one thing maybe I can maybe I'll lead off with Steve is, you know, I guess a question I have is, did this tournament really break any new ground for for us as tennis fans as to the landscape of the game and how we're thinking of, you know, who is who's really on top? You know, has anything really changed in your mind? Because I think for the most part that we saw a lot of the same sort of narratives and stories really carried over from 2015 into 2016. Yeah, I think that's right. I think it's maybe even a little more, you know, there's a little more of that than I than I thought. I thought there might be some bigger changes. Um, I, you know, I picked Djokovic and Serena to both lose in the final. Um, and But Serena did lose in the final, but, she, you know, I didn't feel like she was much different than she was last year. I think for the most of the tournament, she was better. She had a bad, she got off to a bad start in the final, but, but she doesn't seem like she's going to be, you know, she doesn't seem to have lost any motivation or seems any slower or anything like that. She seems pretty much the same. Um, and Djokovic, I guess the minor thing to me, you know, his his win was completely expected. But the minor thing to me was the way he beat Federer was more decisive from the beginning than any of the other matches that I can remember. He's In the past, he's sort of had to, weather a storm from Federer or sort of had to be on the defensive a little bit and counterattack. This time he just came out and beat Federer from the beginning. I think that if we're looking at it for any differences going forward, I feel like right now it seems to me that Djokovic is further ahead of Federer and Federer have to do something pretty drastic to beat him this year. So that other than that, though, you know, I don't think Kerber's win as you know, as exciting as it was, it doesn't feel like that's going to be. I don't. Wouldn't expect her to start suddenly. Start winning Grand Slams. No. Yeah. And I, I think those. I think those are both good. Good takes on it. And you know, I even. Yeah, I even said a little bit on on Twitter right after the final that you always end up seeing after a Grand Slam win, uh, you know the the reflexive 
a new star is born type of headline that just is kind of just groan inducing when 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 you you know Kerber's a a veteran a solid veteran at this point, um, but I I think that's right about you know Djokovic to start when in just when you think about really how how one sided his wins over. Federer and Murray were, and if you even want to tie it back to uh, you know to the week before, he gets a six-one, six-two win over Nadal uh, in a in a good tune-up tournament. Um, you know, the Djokovic uh, the Djokovic momentum has really not. It's really been, I think, the same as we saw last year, and I think, you know, I think that's great for. I think that's great for the sport overall, uh, to be honest with you. Because if you if you if you look at this from saying, well, what is different from 2016 this year compared to last year? Um, you know, it, to see to see to kind of have the possibilities of you know, clearly Djokovic it seems is, is not going to rest on any of his laurels here. What he's what he's done, and I think. Um, as you pointed out in your review, I think that's being recognized well beyond those in the know in tennis. I think his name, his prestige, uh, is becoming more mainstream. Is becoming, you know, just appreciated for what it is. Um, it's you know, Djokovic has his career has been he's been a very streaky player. Um, in terms of really the majors that he's won, he's always been a consistent player, but he's won in bunches, and I think this latest surge has really kind of catapulted him into a new, you know, limelight in terms of overall appreciation. Yeah, I think one of the things we we you know you sometimes wonder why is Federer or P- P- Djokovic is asked a lot why is Federer so popular and Djokovic hasn't had that one thing is being, being number one and dominant for a long time you know, just raises your profile that much more. And I think Djokovic is is getting there, getting into that kind of, you know, that level. He had I think he had more crowd support in Australia than I've heard before. And when you start to hear his name with you know, with Laver and Borg, then you start to get that extra level of respect that sort of you know, he's this idea that he goes beyond his era even that Federer has had. You know, that's that you know, you start to Djokovic starts to get a little of that too. And I think this tournament was you know, when it was over, I sort of thought it's in both ways. Both of the finals showed that having a dominant number one is a is a positive. You get you get sort of the excellence of Djokovic's performance, but then you get Serena losing an upset, and that's that's drama. You know, so you sort of get both sides, and I think they're both the, the plus of having a, a one really great player on each side. Yeah, I mean, I've as someone who watches a lot of sports. I think parody is is definitely overrated when it comes to things. You know, when it comes to just the enjoyment of the game, uh, there are players, there are teams, really you either love or hate, and because they have they've established themselves in that way, it just makes for much better, um, a much more I think enjoyable experience. Um, you know, with Serena, it was, it, you know, we, thinking about what's continued from last year to this year it sort of finally reared its head in the final uh you know for so many of the majors for so many of her wins through last year we uh we had seen her 
get that difficult match, which she won, you know, nine and a half times out of ten last year. Um, but, you know, she it really finally came around in the final. Now, what was, I think, so surprising is that you really you really couldn't be blamed for thinking that after Serena gets through Sharapova and Rodwanska in just such routine fashion that, you know, is it real? Is she really going to let her guard down in a final against an against Anjali Kerber? Like you, you know, you may have expected that if, well, let's say Kerber was, you know, a quarterfinal opponent. This is where you typically see kind of these insurgences. Uh, but, you know, there was particularly surprising to me that Serena, you know, just couldn't put it together against Kerber. It was also surprising to me that when it seemed that in the third set, you know, she had, she'd gotten back on level ground after winning the second set. And in the third set, it was it was really there for the taking. And, and you figured that if, if Kerber didn't win this one particular point or one particular game, you know, it was... Serena was bound to take this match, and it just never happened. You got to, you know, you give credit to Kerber, of course, too, for that. Yeah, I think Kerber played a game that was that was tough for Serena. The, the angles that she used, um, she could, she was hitting to both corners, especially the passing shots. You know, Serena was seemed determined this tournament to come to the net more. Good, it's a good idea in theory, but Kerber's passing shots were were too tough. Um, uh, but I think Serena. Overall, yeah, it was a funny tournament for her. I would have start, you know, started out thinking she's going to have a lot more dramatic matches like last year, but she didn't have any any of that when she beat Redwanska in the semis so easily. I thought, well, now she's just relaxed because she doesn't have the Grand Slam or the Serena Slam to think about. She's, you know, this is going back to sort of normal amount of pressure, but that didn't really turn out to be true either because she didn't play well in the final. I would say in the final, she she didn't start out well. And that seemed to, to me, it seemed to like color her mood in the match until, you know, even to the end when she suddenly had a chance. She still, to me, didn't have that normal confidence in her game because she had started out so poorly and that Kerber was a tricky opponent for her. Yeah, and, and the one thing I do love about, um, you know, a tennis tournament, Grand Slam tournament in particular, there's only one winner, of course. And, you know, we've seen over the past few years when you know, a player wins, you know, their their one Grand Slam title. Or um, what it does is it shows you really that every player has possesses a different game. Every player possesses a game that has gotten them to the highest echelon of the sport. And, you know, in Kerber's case here in Australia, we've we've known that we've known what Kerber has, has brought to the table before. She is an incredible. She covers the court amazingly. She is one of the game's greatest counterpunchers. She is um, timely in her shots, very calculated in, in how she gets it all back. Um, and you know, for in this in these two weeks in Melbourne, we saw the peak of that game of that style and how it can work. And it doesn't work all the time. It, it you know she's had some many titles, many big wins on tour. Uh, but rarely has have we seen it all come together in the way that it did against an opponent who, um, when you pit the, their two games against each other, it's the ultimate, you know, aggression versus, you know, ab- you know, absorbing that aggression really. And um, and th- and I think that's what I enjoyed most about Kerber's win. I think it was less for 
really the achievement of of seeing Serena topple because you know we did see that in pretty much nearly unexpected fashion last U.S. Open against Vinci, but. I think for this final, what the takeaway was, was seeing a player who, uh, in Kerber's case, has dedicated herself to a particular style and just executing it flawlessly. Yeah, I think this was the first time you would say to me that you really you saw what her game can do because she did it against Serena. She did it in the Grand Slam final. Where, you know, tennis fans who follow the tour all year know a lot about her, but but she hasn't really shown up in the slams in a few years, so... So that was interesting. It doesn't have a boring. It's not a. It's not a boring wallboard game either. You know, there's there's creativity to it as well. Um, and she also beat Azarenka for the first time. So that and she did that in a in a slightly different way than she beat Serena. You know, more the more uh, more aggression, more attacking. So, you know, we'll see what what Kerber can do at 28. She's number two in the world. I guess that also shows that number two is pretty much up for grabs. You know, you win a Grand Slam, you're number two. Uh, there's been a lot of people who have who have been there. It's sort of you know, it's a big step up to the next level. Yeah, absolutely. And and while we're you know, I wonder if really the one of I, I wonder if the biggest upset of this tournament was the fact that Victoria Azarenka was the was that Victoria Azarenka lost to Kerber instead of Williams, and furthermore that Azarenka just still has been unable to get back to you know a grand slam final um you know you know winning a final is one thing at, at that point but even for her to to again get stopped at kind of the midway upper midway point of this tournament um as she has as she has had happened to her last year at the slams where she's run into just one obstacle that she couldn't clear and and i think that was you know coming into the tournament the talk was really i thought mostly about Azarenka as it um as much as it was about Serena Williams and um and I think what we'll end up seeing is I I have to think that with how well Azarenka has played for almost all of this year with the exception of really the Kerber match which she somehow let the second set slip away after having such an advantage you know I do think that this stretch here from um, the Australian Open to the French Open, which which does take a long time to play itself out, and for some players, you know, it doesn't really say a whole lot about. But I do think that it will be useful for Azarenka to, you know, I think just plain and simply win some more titles, get some bigger wins over players, over players that you know we know she can compete with. Uh, I think you know. Azarenka, where she goes from here, is really remains one of the year's bigger stories, in spite of you know a somewhat early exit in Australia. Yeah, you know you st- you still stick by her. I think as as the most likely consistent challenger to Serena. She I, a lot of us picked her to win Vika to win the tournament. Um, I guess when I saw when after she lost, I looked back and she hasn't been to a Grand Slam semi since 2013. And she played that quarterfinal. You know, I felt like Kerber played it with more confidence. Kerber played it like she was the favorite in the match. I didn't feel like Vika. You know, maybe she's just not used to those to that stage. She lost to Halep in the quarters at the U.S. Open in a similar sort of way. Had a chance, didn't take it. Um, you know, maybe just the 
the time away from winning those big matches has had its effect. So, so we'll, we'll see where she goes. You know, I have to say this. You have to think this month overall has been has been good for her. Yeah, it's it's really been the only the only blip on the radar for her. Um, yeah, I think she had won every other set previously by six three or better. Just in a, a really a great run back to to this point. Um, you know, when we think about some other other names in in Australia, you know, we haven't mentioned we we only briefly got touched on Murray at the top there. Um, you know, Murray, as I, I've mentioned before, I've been a little bullish on him. Uh, you know, coming into this year, but you you know you do have to think that um, that with Milos Raonic's injury really popping up, that 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 Murray did get away with one, perhaps in that in that match. Uh, I don't want to um, discount anything there, but um, Raonic, I think. I think he comes out of this tournament a pretty solid winner in his own right. I think that um I think that there was a lot of pressure coming into that Murray semifinal that Raonic realized. I think he admitted that up front that you know it's kind of put up or shut up time for him at at 25 years old and has really always been talked about as maybe the guy who can kind of serve that Juan Martín del Potro, Stan Wawrinka, you know, title of uh you know kind of just getting throwing a wrench into the the usual uh you know ruling class up there and i thought you know for the most part he really did deliver on that i did i did see from him kind of a new energy um certainly just some you know confident confidence not only with the serve but really you know across the uh, you know across the spectrum of shot making and I thought overall you, you you have to kind of look at Raonic in a little bit of a different light after January. You know, we think about January as you said for Azarenka, how we, you know, see that as a good month. I think you have to say the same for Raonic. Yeah, I think he comes away as the as the second biggest winner at the at the Australian Open after Djokovic. Um, I agree. He was he looked like he was going to win that match against Murray. Murray fought pretty well, but but if Milos doesn't get injured, you have to like him up two sets to one. And just his play overall, you know, just a lot better all around. Better volleys, better returns, better backhands. I think he surprised everybody. Vavrinka, Monfils, they all mentioned it. The guys he beat, um, and and even Carlos Moya, his his new coach, said he didn't th- he didn't think Raonic, you know, really had a good idea of all the things he could do. I guess you you know the the cautious note is to look at Dimitrov two years ago and Nishikori two years ago, the guys who were about Raonic's age in their in their generation, um, you know, Raonic. I'm sorry, Dimitrov got to the semis of Wimbledon 2014. Nishikori got to the semis of the U.S. Open in in 2014, and neither of those guys have have really followed that up yet. Especially Dimitrov. I, you know, I don't see Raonic going in that direction, but but we'll see. Um, I think I, I think a now you can you can definitely look at him as a future Grand Slam winner again. And I think even more important, he was much more fun to watch at this yeah. this tournament than before. I sort of, you know, dreaded the idea of him dominating the game just with his serve. But this was this this was much you know this match against Favrinka was a was a great sort of all around performance from him. Yeah, and um, you know, let's uh, you know the one um, the one person we haven't mentioned too much. Um, 
Roger Federer, he, uh, you know, re- really obviously up against it against Novak Djokovic. Um, kind of the same story when when he is is facing Novak, and really the dynamic that that Djokovic has been able to just uh, keep going from match to match. Um, you know, in 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 reviewing that match in your you know brilliantly titled. Joko on chain piece. It was mostly about Djokovic and where he is at clearly at this at this, at this time in you know his career. Um, you know what is there anything new to add to Federer? It, it's almost tough to really, it's it's tough to really explain. Maybe the better question is, did w- was there any evidence perhaps of of change of him from you know he has a new coach in Ivan Lubacic, um, some new influence there. But is there really anything new to the Federer story? It, it, it to me, it is still as as impressive as it has been. That you know, at 34, 34 and a half, it's you know, there's not much that he is unable to do still in this game. But uh, except for really just you know the one touchstone at the top there. But you know, anything new or different to 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 leave this tournament with on the Federer side of things? Oh, I know. I think it was exactly the same as he's as he's done in the Australian Open the last few years, been brilliant, getting into the semis, um, gets people talking about beating, you know, winning the tournament, talking about 2006 again, and then either Nadal or Djokovic beats him, you know, fairly routinely. So uh, I think it is amazing that he doesn't seem to have lost a step against anybody else, uh, beat Burdich easily and cruised in his earlier matches, beat Dimitrov pretty easily. Uh, this one was different to me in that Djokovic, it's sort of the reverse thing for Djokovic. I feel like this semifinal put some distance between them. I felt like Djokovic was less nervous. Uh, it wasn't Federer dictating and then Djokovic finding a way to win. It was Djokovic dictating from the start and really you know, taking the match from Federer. Federer it, it, I felt like at the U.S. Open in Wimbledon last year, if Federer had had more confidence in himself, he had the weapons to win those matches. This time, it didn't matter what he thought; um, he wasn't going to win. Uh, Djokovic was took, you know, was was the more aggressive player and dictated from the beginning. I think that's a bad sign in their right re, uh, rivalry. I feel like, barring a change, it seems to me right now that Djokovic has lost that fear that he's always had of Federer. Even when he's beaten him, he's always had this sort of I have to take Federer's best and and try to work with that. This time that didn't happen. We'll see if that keeps up. If it keeps up, you know, I think it's going to be tough for Federer to turn the tables again. Yeah, and uh, I'm kind of you know thinking back really on if we stretch back to the whole two weeks as you know this event, trying to think of some you know some winners and and losers of this that 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 come to mind. you know, one guy I think you got. I think you have to tip your hat to again, uh, Gilles Simone. You know, eliciting a hundred unforced errors out of Novak Djokovic. I think um, you know Simone might have. I think comes away as one of the best little takeaways of this tournament. Um, Tomic, you know, he ends up, you know, backing up his. Uh, you know, perhaps backing up his words, if you want to extrapolate it to to where Federer and Djokovic ended up at the end there. But he does, you know, he does back up his seed, getting to the fourth round of um, a home slam. 
does you know better than uh, Nick Kyrgios. You know keeps that um, little you know difference alive between them. Uh, looking down the list uh, of kind of, of seated players here, obviously you know a, a clear you know miss. You know we have to mention Rafa and um, losing to you know obviously a zoning Fernando Verdasco in round one, but you know it, it's still it's still tough to excuse that from you know a player of 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 Rafa's caliber. But we're you know we're we're definitely at a different stage of of where Nadal is too. Uh, and then just looking down uh, really the men's list, I kind of picking up a couple players for example you have Jack Sock only making um round two here at this event um and uh Mr. Monfils a nice quarterfinal showing actually I thought David Ferrer was a nice winner of this event too getting you know we've we've I think we've had kind of the obits written for him for a while just you know when is he finally going to break down um and you know still you know pounding away quarterfinal you have to just tip your hat to that so you know, anything else men's side for you stick out? Any of those guys you know want to expand upon? I guess, um, I guess if you, you know, you look at Rafa, that's a another step back. He he, this was a sort of return to the his loss to Verdasco was sort of a return to the match against Fognini at the Open, um, where he he just sort of the his opponent was just able suddenly to play the best tennis he's ever played in his life for for two sets and beat him. Um, Nadal had sort of painstakingly gotten better through the fall. And then this happens again to him. It's almost as if it's almost as if now the, the sort of the, the myth or the aura around him is gone and people, some of his vulnerabilities, the, the short ball or the, the ball that kicks up into the other guy's strike zone. It's, you know, that's, that's, feeding these other guys uh games fognini and now and now verdasco it's you know you feel like rafa will really have to do something at the start of the year i thought he was going to really have to improve his serve to to challenge djokovic at all and now i feel like he's just going to have to improve his serve and get more out of that shot that was just something that he didn't get anything out of against verdasco so you know it really comes down to 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 not just confidence, but certain shots of of Rafa's, I think, have to have to get better. First of all, to serve. Yeah, and um, it's yeah. I, I'm thinking about some other, you know, besides Rafa, another few early round really just big misses. Um, if we if we go to the women's side, uh, the big one to me, not even Simona Halep round one, that can be I think excused a bit because of the uh, the clear. Um, you know, health problems she's undergoing. Um, Muguruza to me is the big miss at uh, or with a round three exit. Um, just kind of really still waiting on her to, you know, I think bring that. Be she has that great Wimbledon result and um, you know really has the tools. We saw a lot. We saw some of it in the WTA finals too last year. Um, really sort of maybe that, you know, a new year with that bit of experience on our shoulder can, uh, can take that to something, you know, to another level here, but, but really nothing, uh, nothing great to come away from her Australian Open going to, going out to Strix of in the third round. Um, 
Johanna Kanta obviously uh, you know starts off with a win over Venus and really just keeps on going from there, makes it all the way to the semis. Um, you know that's a, a player who, you know, after a, after such a strong summer run, making really making herself known at the at the U.S. Open and carrying that over into this year, it, it does seem like Kanta is a player that uh, we should be hearing from quite a bit this year. Um, you know, Sharapova, same. It's it, it's. Uh, I think the I think the fewer Sharapova, Serena previews I read in the future, the ones that mainly predict, you know, explain how she can beat her, the better. I think I'll kind of leave it at that there. Um, and, you know, um, Madison Keys going out, you know, this is also another, this is unfortunately another injury-based situation, but, uh, you know, we, uh, you know, she's was ranked 15th, not too far, I was ranked a 14, both kind of wondering where these two take it from this tournament. But Madison only uh, to the fourth round, um, losing to Zhang there. Uh, you know, one of the results I think we'll also kind of look at in, in, in reviewing this tournament and seeing, you know, where everybody's at. Yeah, I think Muguruza is the big story there because we really came in um, thinking, you know, she was number three. She'd had the big run at the end of the year. She seemed like somebody who can play with Serena she's young um and then she just threw in a very tepid at best sort of almost disinterested performance uh losing pretty quickly a lot of unforced errors and not a lot of you know didn't not not a lack of effort but just a sort of lack of intensity in that match of real surprise um i guess it's another case of somebody gets hot for a little while, then you forget some of their, that they ha- do have these bad days. Um, and it's also another player, yet another player coming up, seeming like they're ready to challenge on the women's side and then, and then not doing it. We'll see, you know, we'll see. I still think Muguruza has grand slams in her, but I think we can, I think we can again go back and realize that she hasn't completely changed and that these bad days will be there. Um, because that you know, I think even for somebody who's watched her for a long time, that was surprising. Yeah, it's it's one where still, I I think also perhaps it's still a you know, that's it is a tough player. I'll give Strix of that. It, it's a tough opponent overall to to run into for still a young player who. I think the expectations were on there still, and 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 you know if you can contr- if you contrast her with someone like Raonic, um, you know just really not meeting those head on, um, and really embracing them in a sense, it just didn't it just it didn't add up in in that respect, and um, you know I think I think we're left still kind of wondering, you know really overall on the women, as you say, where is uh, nothing to me has been cleared up in terms of the really as compared to the men's side and we just we know exactly I think where everything stands right now I think the WTA tour is is perhaps as unsettled as it has been in quite some time you um you know with with really Serena um you know I think the more the more distance we we take away from um 
you know, the start of her her year last year, and we wonder, you know, how big of a favorite is Serena over the field? And we see, you know, we we wonder kind of where where Halep is here. You know, clearly she'll be dipping down. Uh, you know, depending on how long this this recovery takes. Um, Radwanska, Sharapova, you know, Kvitova is another player we we just mentioned or we had not mentioned that took a very early loss. Venus Williams, round one. Um, you know, Belinda Bencic, where you know goes out to Sharapova in a nice uh, fourth rounder there. But overall, I think maybe that's one of the biggest takeaways for me is is uh, I, I we know exactly where the the stories are and where the field is in the men's side. And um, perhaps the WTA is, is very, very much up for grabs this year. And, and that could play itself out in tournaments down the road. Yeah. I think the positive you take from, from the end of the tournament is Kerber winning um, and her, is she going to sort of inspire some other players? I feel like Vinci kind of maybe broke a spell of beating Serena at a Grand Slam. A lot of players had come close, and then she finally broke through and did it, and now Kerber has done it. Are other players who have sort of been lingering in the in the top 10, the top 20, the way Kerber has for years, maybe not doing all that they could, or uh, will that be, you know, will this be an inspiration for them? I think that's, I think there are players, other players out there like her, just all the ones you've mentioned, who who have that potential. Yeah. Exactly, and I think that'll be the predominant uh, storyline we follow 